This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies. From healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution, Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. Scottish Mortgage is considered the flagship trust of Edinburgh-based investment managers Bailey Gifford. As with any investment, please note, capital is at risk. To find out how to invest in progress, please visit scottishmortgageit.com. Hello, I'm Citywide Wealth Manager's Ross Miller, and I recently invited Matt Strachan, Chief Investment Officer at Thornton's Investments, to the Citywide Studios. Having recently launched a sustainable AMIHT portfolio offering for the firm's clients, I wanted to get under the bonnet of the unique strategy and also pick his brain on some developments in the wider push for a more sustainable financial system. Here's what he had to say. Matt, first and foremost, thank you for joining me today. Just to provide a bit of context as to sort of the genesis of this conversation. So Thornton's Investments recently launched a sustainable AMIHT offering. And I may be wrong here, but to me, correct me if I am wrong, to me, AMIHT and offerings in that space typically are for an older generation. And that doesn't always, maybe I'm wrong, but that doesn't always sort of have that synergy with the sustainability piece as well. So why did you focus on AIM for a sustainability portfolio? I guess there was probably two drivers, really. One, one is uh, a sense, a growing sense of frustration, uh, um, but also the opportunity. So Brad was just addressing the first part. Um, hopefully at the end of this, you'll see that actually Contrary to, to your suspicions, uh, we see huge alignment both between uh, an AMIHT service offering and also the sustainability aspect. So the frustration really is uh, born from, from a couple of different angles. I think one is that we see uh, a lot of companies who are free of any legacy, of any sort of negative uh, background and totally focused on trying to get the world into a circular economy away from the linear system that we've been engaged with for so long now. And unfortunately, the rating agencies tend to miss out the companies, partly due to size, but also because uh, of the way that the rating um, sort of is structured. Uh, It's very often about the actual operations of the company rather than the product and the service that they're producing. And often they're really targeted towards a company with bigger resources to access that. But that then leads to the opportunity. I think you know th- we, we can see the potential for real change, a sort of you know, disruptor, revolutionary type environment that some of these smaller companies can produce. So the frustration is they don't get covered, or if they do, they don't get covered well. But uh, we think the opportunity is there to actually uh, provide a, an investment service that not only is there to, to pass money on to future generations, but actually is, is to really try and benefit uh, the, the world and planet as we go forward. Yeah, my, my mind goes to the, the big polluters that plant some trees and therefore have an A-star rating, that kind of thing. You know, um, I do want to delve into the mechanics of the AIM market a little bit. Um, obviously I'm not an expert on the issue by any means, but we read a lot about business relief whenever we're learning about the AIM market and kind of the the motives to invest in the AIM market. Can you delve into business relief and what it actually is and how AIM plays a part in that? 
Yeah, certainly. So um, business property relief, as was originally called, was started in about 1976. And in essence, it was uh, a sort of tax break to ensure that businesses uh, weren't subject to uh, sort of uh, uh, punitive inheritance tax if you were trying to pass that asset on. Now, over time, that, that actually morphed into some in companies, not all of them. There are uh, a, a series of requirements in order for an asset to qualify for business relief. Um, so a big part of what we do is, is doing our level best to ensure that these companies are qualifying assets for business relief. But um, it passported into AIM when AIM was established from the USM market back in 95, and it continues today. But it's, I think it's, a, it's, it's quite a sort of principled quid pro quo, the essence being that um, some tax relief will be uh, offered out to investors, but the basis uh, for that being that their capital is invested on a risk basis into smaller companies. And I think you know, the, the HMRC inland revenue bodies are clear that this is actually a very useful channel or conduit to pass capital, um, this sort of patient uh, foundation capital towards these small companies. Okay, so let's put a bit of a microscope on the portfolio itself then. So what sort of companies are in there? And how do you identify them? Uh, we've got a range of companies. Um, the essence of the way we've structured the portfolio is to have a core of slightly bigger, established, cash flow positive, operating profit generating companies that can self-sustain themselves. But in addition to that, um, we've tried to get a number of shots on goals by surrounding them with what we're calling acorn companies. These are the, the, the smaller development companies that we feel uh, have some really interesting technology or service about them um, that have the potential to radically improve uh, whichever area they're focused at, whether it's you know uh, new electric engines, whether it's storage in particular for electricity, which is uh, a big thing that we're focusing on. Um, so it's it's a it's a it's a real range. Mm -hmm. Do you have any examples? Yeah, surely. The we've we've, we've kind of condense the, the sort of UN sustainable development goals, of which there are 17 high-level ones, into about four sectors. Uh, one of those uh, is the biggest one is in environment. So an example there might be a company like Renew, which has just had its full year results. So an, another year uh, with sort of high uh, double-digit um, earnings growth. Um, and they've got a, a good history of that. And this company um, at the moment is primarily on sort of rail repair, maintenance, safety inspection services. So they get a lot of contracts across the UK for that. They're also pushing into similar sort of services for the water sector um, and also partly on roads as well. So this is all about improving um, the, the sort of reliability and the safety of essential networks. Uh, another sector is that, that we have as a sort of super sector is health, which is all about trying to find companies which uh, will improve the quality of healthcare, but also improve the access um, on a global basis. This is not just a sort of domestic focus. So one of the companies we have is a very small company called Diaceutics. Now they've spent um, more than 10 years building a network of testing laboratories around the world. And in essence, it's, this is sort of the application of big data and AI. 
they can now um, assist the development and speed up the development of new drugs by helping um, the, the drug development companies target the correct user base. So increasingly drugs are coming um, with a sort of pre-testing element as, as genetic profiling improves. So the, uh, the, the actual efficacy of the drugs should improve as well, but you need to make sure you're targeting the right patients to prove that that's what they do. Uh, another one of the sectors uh, that we've sort of hypothecated um, is new energy. So on the new energy, I think most people uh, will uh, know already that the, the lowest sort of marginal cost of new energy production is wind and solar. Um, the problem being is how it actually gets to the end consumer and how you make that energy supply reliable, uh, which is obviously now a fairly acute issue. Uh, so we're looking much more about the facilitation of that. So the grid as structured today is for a very old fashioned energy production environment. In order to uh, enable renew renewable energy to be the primary supply, a huge amount has to be done um, and particularly on energy storage. So one of the companies there is uh, a company called Infinity Energies. Uh, it's based up in Scotland, Bathgate. They make vanadium redox flow batteries. Now, they don't quite have the same energy density as lithium, but they can be built on much greater scale and also they can cycle for millions of times. So these are uh, really a, a sort of highly appropriate forms of storing grid scale energy. Um, they've packaged them up into container ships so, so they can be shipped anywhere in the world. And interestingly, um, they've seen a, a pickup in orders from the US. So the recent uh, Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, one of the key features of that is funding is, is over a long period of time. These are big capital investments. So uh, investors need that security of, of sort of future returns in order to make these. And so that, that's, um, that's one of the key features which is helping this kind of company. And then lastly, the, the, the final sector is efficiency, um, which is sort of almost the bedrock uh, of, of improving uh, the way we live and helping get us to a sort of uh, a circular economy. And um, one, one company there, which hopefully will be a beneficiary of some of the statements uh, put out in the autumn statement is called SureServe. Um, traditionally, they are uh, a service provider to public authorities to ensure the safety of gas boilers, um, but they are increasingly involved in installing uh, solar panels, uh, sort of community ground source heating, uh, recently won some contracts from Ministry of Defence uh, to overhaul some, some of the sort of um, housing and barracks on bases uh, with solar installations. So um, yeah, th there's a range of companies um, that we think you know, is, is they're all focused in the right sort of area. Okay, thank you. And I guess a lot of these companies are quite young, quite nascent, let's say. And I think I'm right in saying that the AIM market is narrower, certainly comparatively narrow compared to the other big exchanges. Um, so how do you manage the risk that comes with that compared to a portfolio of, say, LSE-listed stocks? Yeah, it's, it's one of the classic additional risks that people will highlight on AIM is that uh, there's a liquidity uh, concern. So absolutely, this, this portfolio uh, has quite a number of shots on goal um, in the hope that you know, it, we're going to get the winner. 
in one of these. And some of them are very small, just as you say, they're still in development phase. Uh, they are still capsule hungry um, and not necessarily particularly liquid. So what we have uh, around the core of companies that um, as can sort of generate a dividend flow, which always helps the models work on platform, is this sort of uh, surrounding um, circle of Acorn companies they are much smaller positions. So if you think about a sort of histogram profile, the portfolio has a, a much longer tail of very small, sometimes just a half a percent position. But the way models work on platform allows you to, to embed that into the model itself. So yeah, we're very conscious that um, you know, they, they may not uh, actually get their product to market at the end of the day. They, could possibly be superseded, but what we've done is make sure that um, you know, should any of those fail, they are a very small position. Okay, and I, I want to push the conversation over to a more sort of macro level, um, starting with the FCA and their recent um, launch of a consultation um, regarding their sustainability disclosure requirements. And I'm going to read an excerpt from this uh, from this consultation, if I may. So. We are concerned that firms are making exaggerated or misleading sustainability-related claims about their investment products, claims that don't stand up to scrutiny or greenwashing. This may lead to consumer harm and erode trust in the market for sustainable investment products. Our proposals aim to build transparency and trust by introducing labels to help consumers navigate the market for sustainable investment products. Now, if you have two hats on here, let's say, as someone who uh, runs the AMIST portfolio, a, 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 an offering, but you also, obviously, your, your mandate at Thornton's Investments is a lot wider than that, and you also would engage with the big fund houses quite a lot and um, are a fund selector as well, let's say. So with those two things in mind, what does what does this mean for you, um, and what, what do you hope it means? Uh, well, taking the, uh, the fund selector hat first, uh, I'm wholly in agreement with the statement. Uh, it, it has been a great frustration uh, to see uh, the level of greenwashing, uh, as we're calling it, uh, across the range. You, when you lift the bonnet on a number of these funds, uh, often as not, you, you begin to question immediately, what is it? A number of funds did extremely well during 2020. Um, and then you would find they look not dissimilar to a technology fund. And you really began to question exactly what the fund was doing in terms of its sustainability objectives. So uh, I think it will be a help. I mean, it, you, we will need to think about establishing um, ESG or green model portfolios uh, for internal use. And that's not been particularly easy because you're always left with that sort of lingering concern about what have I actually got in the fund? It's very difficult to monitor it. I mean, uh, strangely, it's actually easier to build a sustainable future AIM model because we know exactly what all of the companies do within the model, whereas it's difficult to, to um, be sure of what goes in uh, if you're building a model of funds. Uh, if, if you put the hat on as a product provider, I, I, th I think, again, it's been pretty sensibly pitched. They've probably had the benefits of watching the uh, EU taxonomy sort of flop backwards and forwards. You know, did things like uh, gas and nuclear were not deemed to be green and now are green. It's, be, it's been a, a moving target, very difficult to hit. Uh, and of course, I think you, as has been highlighted in, in your own sort of press briefings, possibly a quarter of Article 9 funds may not actually qualify for Article 9 under closer scrutiny. 
But I think the principal approach is quite good. Um, and the sort of three categories of, of sustainable focus, which uh, will be sort of probably themed more around perhaps a, uh, a renewable uh, sort of energy source, so wind farms, solar farms, that kind of thing. Uh, they've got sustainable improvers, which I think is focused a bit more around companies whereby they can evidence their sort of carbon footprint improvement over time. And then lastly, uh, a sustainable impact fund, which would be much more where our AIM Sustainable Future Funds uh, portfolio sits. And and really that's about what, what does the product or the service that they provide actually do in terms of improving the economy. The really tricky bit in all of this is actually to evidence it. So uh, I think quite rightly, the FCA are looking for some sort of objective measure to show that actually the fund is achieving the objectives that you state from a sustainable purpose. So I, I, it, I think it's good, good news, uh, both from a fund selector purpose uh, and from the perspective of a fund product provider. Um, but of course, you know, the devil's always in the detail and the measurement of, of how, uh, how the underlying companies within a fund uh, are making those improvements is going to be the difficult part. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll be interesting to see the outcome of the consultation. Uh, let's finish with current affairs, global affairs. So if we look at the wider push to decarbonize, does the invasion of Ukraine and the subsequent energy crisis put a spanner in the works there? What does it mean? I think I'll probably give you a yes and no answer on this one. It, it's the sort of, it was the worst of times, it was the best of times. So what the the unfortunate situation with Ukraine and Russia weaponizing their energy supply has, has done is perhaps crystallized exactly how dependent we are on energy as a source. Um, and it also means that, you know, we, we unfortunately... Coal-fired power stations being restarted. If it's a really cold winter, it's not going to look very good. It will be a blot on the copybook. But at the same time, I think it it will sort of turbocharge uh, the push towards renewables and all the infrastructure required to make sure that they are um, reliable as well as sustainable sources. Because I think you. The thought of not being able to heat your home in a cold winter has crystallized minds really quite sharply. So, yes, it's not great news. Um, it's meant that it's created this cost of living crisis, uh, in particularly in terms of European energy costs. But I think it will also act as an, uh, a tremendous catalyst to actually driving that sort of change in, in how, we, how we both produce and use energy. Fingers crossed. Last one, COP27. Does it make a difference? Will it make a difference? What are you hoping to to see in terms of an outcome? I think it's very easy to um, just think of, of the conference of party sessions as being uh, an exercise in, in verbal hot air and a bit meh when it comes to results. <laughs> yeah. COP26, I think, uh, in Glasgow made some good steps forward. Then Ukraine happened, as we just talked about. Um, COP27... Uh, didn't move the needle very much in terms of emissions. Um, but I think if you actually look at it a bit more closely and perhaps broaden your horizon away from purely just you know, what are our carbon emissions, um, there is a bit of progress being made. You know, COP26, I think one, one of the important things was actually they expanded 
um, the range of issues uh, that were high on the agenda for improvement. So things like methane emissions, uh, of which there's a big problem. A lot of work still has to be done to improve those, but that is that is a focus area. Deforestation as well uh, is, is obviously a huge issue. And the good news here is Brazil's back in the fold. Presidential change made a big difference. I think they're talking about COP30 being hosted in Brazil. Um, one of the sort of many side meetings they have, uh, it looks like there's now an alliance between uh, Brazil, Indonesia, and the DRC um, to actually uh, club together and put in a program to prevent deforestation going on. And then uh, there's always the, the one of interest to financial markets, which is carbon trading. Um, that is uh, probably something that if properly monitored, measured, uh, will be a useful uh, adjunct uh, or financial instrument just to help in terms of nudging people in terms of their behaviours and perhaps also providing uh, a better sort of budgetary uh, measurement of, of what impacts are. So it's it, it's easy to dismiss it. Um, and sometimes it, it looks and feels a little bit obscene that all these people fly in, uh, make pronouncements on a political time scale. But I think incrementally over time, it will help push the right sort of behaviours. One little side question from me, if I may, you mentioned carbon trading. Do you prefer a cap and trade approach or a carbon tax? Probably a carbon tax, but that has to be caveated with the fact that it's actually accurately measured. Okay, well, with that, Matt, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you to all those who have listened in. Thank you. This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies. From healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution, Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. Scottish Mortgage is considered the flagship trust of Edinburgh-based investment managers Bailey Gifford. As with any investment, please note, capital is at risk. To find out how to invest in progress, please visit scottishmortgageit.com.